welcome. You are listening to Grace Capital Church Podcast. Well, we are on week two of this series called Veritas. Veritas is the Latin word meaning truth. We are actually going on this journey starting from the beginning of the Bible through to the end, really talking about God's major themes of what's going on. As we said before, a lot of times we speak topically, and uh, sometimes we don't always get the full picture of what, um, what the Bible says from beginning to end, God's plan and our, our part in God's story as it's being woven through. So we are on week two. Last week, we established that the Word of God was actually true, that it wasn't just a uh, book made up of a bunch of uh, men's writings that were just a compilation. Men did write these books, but it was inspired through the Holy Spirit, and we gave evidence to that. Because what we're going to be speaking about um, going forward is really the truths that we find in Scriptures, in God's Word. And it was really important for us, if if we're going to base all of our facts on this, then we need to believe that this is true. Well, today we are actually um, starting right at the beginning in Genesis, and we're going going to be talking about God's nature and our position and our relationship with Him. And it's so important to set the, the foundation of our relationship with God because He is the one who created us. And we're going to begin to see what is this relationship He had established, our Creator with His creation. And so if you are journaling through uh, with us through our journaling program, you'll realize that we've been hanging out in Genesis, and I love Genesis. I don't know about you. There is so much packed into this book of Genesis. It starts at the beginning of man and uh, God, you know, breathing life into man, and then it talks about, you know, how man goes a little wacko a little bit, and so God decides that uh, he wants to flood the earth, and you have Noah and the ark, that story there. We have Abraham and, and Lot and Isaac and There's a lot of great stuff that happens in Genesis, and if you're not journaling through God's Word, I highly recommend that you pick up a journal at the uh, Info Hub and begin reading God's Word with us. It's kind of fun journeying together, knowing that we're all reading the same passages, and and if you also would like to get involved in a journaling group, there's a bunch of journaling groups that meet throughout the city um, on different days of the week, and and, uh, you can find that on the web or you can go to the Info Hub and find some information there as well. But I, today we're going to, yes, be talking about God's nature, but really we're going to be talking about how we were created in the image, what image were we created in, and we're going to unpack that a little bit. But have you ever given some thought, who are you most like? Most like your mom? Most like your dad? Has anybody ever told you you're like one of your parents? Or maybe you've got kids and your parent and your the, the kids say, "Well, who do you look like? What what image do you bear?" Um, I know for my family, my everybody says my daughter looks a lot like me, and I don't always I, or she yeah she looks like me. I don't look like her. <laughs> I don't know how that works, but I'm thinking to myself, is that a is that a compliment? So you saying I look feminine or? Or my daughter look, looks masculine. I don't know what that, that means, but I think what they're seeing is we have features. She has uh, these really nice eyes. Well, I'm not saying I have nice eyes or anything, but... Well, do I? All right. Anyways, anyways. Well, there's, there's, there's some fascination I've always had with regards to 
um, where I come from. You know, where, have you ever tried to think of anybody going on that Ancestry.com and kind of look at your, your ancestors and where did you come from? And I, I've never really gone through that whole process. I have a lot of family history stuff that people pass down to me because I have general interest in that. But for Christmas, my wife gave me one of those little DNA tests that kind of tell you, not where your, where your ancestry is from, but this DNA test was to tell you who in the world has the most similarities to your DNA. Now, this is, this is an interesting test, and um, so you just a simple, you just do a little cotton swab thing and throw in an envelope and you ship it away and... It's kind of weird they can do that, and so somebody has my DNA on file, which makes me a little nervous, but I'm okay with it. So I get my report this week. My email blinks up here. Your DNA results are back. Who are you most like in the world? And I have to say, it was quite fascinating. The most similarity of my DNA, the region of the worlds that I, that I match up with, is Asia. Asia, what is up with that? I mean, I, I don't, I'm, yeah, I have some olive skin, but I, I definitely don't have any slanty eyes or any of those types of things. And, but, but Asia, I was like, well, I like some of their food. But my, my wife says to me, she goes, well, that explains a lot. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean explains? I don't even know what to do. It explains what? I just, all it does is confuses me. But I think for her, it made sense to her. And I don't, I don't talk Chinese with her at home. I don't know. But I don't know. But the other interesting thing is, is they find the top cities that you're most like. And, and most people with my same similar type of DNA strands is from Kuwait. And again, I don't understand that one either. But then it goes down to I have some sim- most similarities with people in South Africa, moving up some of the African horn. I have zero d- DNA replications to anybody in North America, which kind of fascinates me. And then I have a lot of similarities to central and top parts of South America. And I, so for all my Latin brothers and sisters, we connect and we jive and I, I love them because maybe I got something in my DNA. I don't know. I don't know what that really was the purpose of that whole test. And again, it was fascinating, but I, it's information on what do you do with that? I don't know what you do with it, except it just confuses me. I think I have this going through an identity crisis. But, but what image do I look like? Where do I come from? And I think that's fun to look at, but what's the most important question is truly, where have we originally come from And how were we originally designed? And we've got to go back into Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. And and it begins to tell us in what image were we created. And it's so important to understand this. Do you realize that we begin to take on the image of things that we spend a lot of time with? You know, husband and wives, the longer they're with each other, the more they look like each other. Do you realize that sometimes, I don't know, people begin to look like their pets, (laughs) their dogs, their owners? It is kind of creepy sometimes. I, I don't know why that is. 
But it's, it's important to understand that sometimes good, have you heard the expression, bad company corrupts good character? The reality is, as we begin to look like the things that we hang out with, the people we hang out with, we begin to look like them. Now, those owners were spending way too much time with their pets. <laughs> or I should say their pets were spending too much time with their owners, but, but I guess those pets didn't make themselves look that way. Their owners made themselves look that way. So here's the crazy thing. We have been designed to look a certain way. We have. This is truth. This is veritas. We find this in Genesis. If you take your Bibles and turn to Genesis 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said... Let us make man in our image. I love this word our, by the way. Anybody who has problems with the Trinity, I always bring them back to this, um, this word our. The plurality of God is found already at the beginning in Genesis. In our image. After our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I'm going to pause there for a moment because not only were we created in God's image to take on his likeness. Now, some will say, well, what likeness, like just bodily form likeness? I believe it also includes our physical form. Remember, God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He has legs. But I also believe we're to, to reflect and to bear the image of the nature of God as well. Not just the physical form, but the nature of God. But he also gave us dominion over his creation. This is going to be really interesting for you to remember that point. I'm going to bring something up here a little bit later. But remember the point found in the Bible here that he's given us dominion over his creation. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have... Oh, I already read that. So, verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. So here's the idea, the image. The image needs to be a reflective image. So here's a mirror. When I look in this mirror, I should see my image, correct? When you look into a mirror, and actually I found out this morning, some people actually don't like to look into mirrors. Um, I think that's interesting. But some people are looking in the mirror too much, and you know who you are. I'm not going to call you out. You love yourself too much. But we are to reflect an image. So we are created in his image. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. We are actually to act as the mirror. So God created man to reflect his image. So if God is here, and if he looks at us, he should actually see his reflection back at him. Make sense? God created us 
to be a reflection of who he is, his very nature. And this is really important to understand because this is part of our original design. Now, we're going to get into next week, and I'm I'm really trying hard not to get into next week's message because um, it's going to be really good, but I also don't want to give it away. What happens is Satan, he came. Satan always comes and distorts truth. That's his job. He'll take a little bit of truth, distort it to make it a lie. And so what he wants to do is, in essence, break the mirror, create brokenness in us, and so we can no longer reflect God's image. Okay, so think of this as your being your life. So what Satan's job is, he comes and he says, how can I make sure they have a horrible upbringing? How can I make sure there's been abuse? How can I make sure that somebody's spoken down to them and say you're not going to amount to anything? How can I make sure they live stress so stressed out that they, they begin to have substance abuse? How can I make sure, crack, 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 broken, 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 broken. And then boom, when God looks, he no longer sees himself. And this is what Satan does, is he tries to distort and crack. And I'll tell you why this is is so awful when it becomes crack, because of our role and responsibility of why God created us. It's all about restoration, that not only should our lives become an uncracked mirror that completely wholly reflects a true image of God, but it begins to permeate wherever we go, people see the image of God. We'll get into that a little bit further. Well, before we go too far, people say, well, is there, was there a literal Garden of Eden? Well, the book of Genesis was most likely, 95% sure everybody believes that it was Moses who, who wrote uh, the book of Genesis. And as it's describing the physical characteristics of Eden, there were four rivers that came from a single source. They name one of the rivers, the Euphrates River, is still named today, is found in modern-day Iraq, Turkey, parts of Syria. And there's another river that is named a different name, but we assume it's the Tigris River, which we have today. But there's four rivers Now, we can't pinpoint all four of those rivers right now, but we do know a lot took place after the flood, that there was a lot of tectonic shifts that took place after uh, Noah's time and the flood, and so there was some shifting that took place. So maybe some of those river beds got shifted along the way. But there was an actual location, and it's actually defined by this this modern-day area where where those rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates, kind of loop around, and right in the middle of that is where this scene takes place. Actually, historians have told us that this is where the the beginning of modern civilization, where man kind of originally was came about. The Mesopotamian era of people took place right in that area where the true literal uh, Garden of Eden was. But the challenge is that many times the truth of the image that we're supposed to be reflected gets twisted and we buy a lie that is no longer the truth. And as a result, we no longer have the ability to reflect God. I'm going to show you what happens 
when our truth is twisted, as found in the Scriptures. If you'll turn with me to the book of Romans, that's in the New Testament. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Romans is right after Acts. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and the book of Romans. It says this. Follow along with me. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness surpasses the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, Basically, he's giving a list here. We're saying God's attributes, which, by the way, should be our attributes. We are created in his image. Am I doing an okay job? That was a thumbs up for me. A little talking saying, good job, Pastor Mark. Thank you. Thank you for that. So here we go. His attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So in other words, if people say, well, there's no God, you just have to look through in creation. Now, creation's a little bent now because of what Satan has done to it. But all along, from the beginning of time, we can see God in his handiwork through creation. So they, without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay, just see this picture for a moment. Here's God, creator God. They no longer looked to him as God or honored him. And as a result, they began to put themselves, allow their own thinking, these, these futile, what they were saying is these futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So they started following their hearts, they're following their mind. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds and animals and creeping things. Okay, I wanted you to remember this birds, animals, and creeping things. Remember what I talked about in Genesis. I paused there for a moment. Here they make reference again using the same language. Birds, animals, in other words, his creation. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal. Basically, they became, they took them as idols. They They looked to the creation and made idols out of creation. I'm going to explain what happens when we do that in a moment. But it's important to understand the framework of this. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity and to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. There's that concept again. Who is blessed forever, amen. 
they exchange the truth of God, which is we are created in his image. We are to be a reflection of who he is. But what happens is when we all of a sudden exchange who God is and honoring him and realizing he's the creator, we have then side looked and made worship the things that were created things. Okay, so nobody's out there worshiping a dog. Well, maybe they are, but nobody's out there creating, you know, worshiping animals, birds. Maybe they do, but I'm saying, how does that apply to us today? What do we worship today? Well, we worship things like success, money. We worship people. In other words, worship becomes anything that takes the place of prominence over God becomes a form of worship. Some of you might be worshiping the Patriots today. They did awesome last night, by the way. No Patriots fans? Okay, just checking. Maybe it's because you were worshiping the Patriots. Everything was silent. I don't know. Anything that takes over precedent over our relationship with God becomes a form of worship, an idol. So here's what happens. Do you remember when God told us in in Genesis that we were put over dominion over all other the created things? Remember that part? God placed man and woman on earth to be in dominion, in other words, to to rule over the creation. Now what happens is, is all of a sudden if we start having idols that are part of the creation... Listen to me for a moment. The moment we start having idols that are part of the creation, what are we doing is we're actually diminishing who we actually are in the way that we've actually been created to be. You following that? I know it's a kind of a, it's a, it's a heady concept here, but it's so, it's so important to understand because the moment we place ourselves under the wrong authority, see, we are supposed to be ruling over creation But when we have idols of created things over us, we no longer have, we're a servant and a slave to the very thing that we're supposed to be ruling over. Okay, let's make it really practical here. So if for some reason you worship success, success just is a man-made thing, man-made deal. All of a sudden success becomes our idol it now rules over us. And by the way, it won't give you life. It will start sucking life from you because it's never the way it was intended to be. We're to have dominion over those things. And the only way we can have dominion is placing God in its right perspective. God needs to be the creator. Then comes man and man rules over creation. That's just a little side side journey for you a little bit, but you do understand of how when we worship things other than God and have that right priority, it actually brings death to us because it's the wrong order. Order is man was to rule over creation. And when we place those things as idols, it rules us that brings death to us. Okay. And by the way, just, I want to let you know that Many times we begin to resemble the thing that we worship. It's true. Just as much 
owners will start looking like their, or should dogs start looking like their owners or vice versa, or husbands and wives. The, the, the reality is the thing that we worship, we will become in that image. This is why it's so important to come back to our mirror example. What were we originally designed for? To be in the image of God, reflecting his glory to the creation around us. Okay, but then you're saying, well, is God just an egotistical God that he really just wants to reflect his own glory wherever we go? Isn't like, isn't he into himself a little bit? God, you just want everybody just to reflect who you are? You're kind of, that kind of sounds a little bit strange, God. Is it really, is it just about an ego trip for God that he wants to do this? Not at all. I want to read for you another, another verse. It's actually in... Galatians, Galatians 4. Galatians 4, verse 4. Because many times we feel like if we got a creator God out there that's so big and powerful, he created us, and yet we're just to reflect his image, is, do we kind of feel like we're just kind of, kind of like slaves to the almighty God? That somehow we're being oppressed just to carry on his image. But when we begin to understand God's heart, his very nature is not that at all. We find out the truth right here. Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, talking about Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and can I also add daughters. This whole idea of God's nature is redemption, which is to bring things back to its original purpose. But here's where it gets so beautiful is he wants to call us. He adopts us into the family, his family, and he calls us sons and daughters. And because you are sons, verse 6, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, spirit of his son, the spirit of Jesus into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You see, this is the relationship part of God, that he is not some egotistical God out there just wanting to, you know, have his glory be seen to all the world, which he's God. He can do that. But this is the intimate part of God that his desire is that we become his sons and daughters to a loving father. Abba. Abba means daddy. He wants us to have this close relationship with him. He's just not creator God, some distant God who wants to build this creation just for creation's sake, but he wants to be in relationship with us. But not only crying, Abba, Father, he says, you are no longer a slave, a slave, but a son, and I'm going to add a daughter. 
And if a son and a daughter, then an heir through God. Oh, my word, an heir. Do you realize what an heir is? It means you're a legitimate family member. You get everything that God wants to give. The legacy that he wants to give, you are now an heir. It says this in Galatians 3, 29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You're part of the family. Can I also express to you the type of intimacy that God wants to have with us as well? Do you realize that he spoke everything into existence, his creation, except when it came to man, how did we come to be? It's in Genesis. He took his hands and he formed us. There's something about a a touch of somebody else. There's something about somebody forming something. It's pretty intimate. God himself formed with his hands out of the dust of the earth. And then he does something else so very intimately. He breathes life into the nostrils of man. For you to breathe into somebody's face can be, well, make sure you brush your teeth first. But it's a closeness. It's, it's a form of intimacy to be that close that you can feel somebody else's breath. This is the type of God that we are to be in his image, and he wants to be close with us. He wants to call us sons and daughters, but here's the deal. He wants us to reflect who he is. Honestly, the best compliment anybody can give you is when my, when my son or daughter says, you know, they have a lot of your qualities and they, they, they carry themselves like you carry yourself. I was like, oh man, I've done something right. For those good things, of course, if they do something that's like me, that's bad, I just, I don't know where they got it from. But <laughs> To take on my image, some, my likeness, but I have to say why. The question is, why are we to bear his likeness? Not only is it the way that we've been designed, but the very nature of God is redemption. Remember that? His very nature is to redeem things back into its original state. And by the way, how do people see God, not view him? How do people know God today? What's the best way that somebody will actually get to be introduced to God? Is it just a cloud in the sky? Is it just a walk through the woods? Well, they'll see signs of him in those places. But to actually know him actually comes through believers, people who've received Christ in their life. See, God's redemptive story comes through you and me. And there's two things that really need to, for us to come to that place of reflecting God. There's two things that are important in that. One is proximity. So if I'm way over here, can you see my image in that mirror? All right. Well, I'll teach you. Can you see my image in that mirror? 
No, okay, thank you. So, point being, now, can you see my image in my mirror? Who can I make blind here tonight? Okay. Can you see my image? Yes, there's a pro- when you're prox- close to something, it's much easier to see the image. So here's the deal. Our proximity to God is important. Well, how do I get close to God? You can pray. You can read God's word. You can be in community with other believers. In James, the Bible says, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. Proximity, very important. You reflect God's image a whole lot better the closer you are to him. The next thing is attentiveness. If you are at the place where you are like the little squirrel in Ice Age, you know, off to this thing, you know, whatever it is, you're like frantic all the time looking to and fro. You're attentive. You will not be gazing into any mirror. Ooh, 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 ooh. I could be close to the mirror, but not, if I'm not gazing to the mirror, I'm not going to have the reflection I'm supposed to have. So there's a level of attentiveness that we also need to have. So where are we fixing our gaze? Is it in the direction of God or is it in the distractions of the world? See, the reality is there is no plan B. There's only plan A. The plan A is that God wants to use people like you and me to go into our cities, to go into our schools, to be in our homes, where we come back to our original design, where we reflect who God is. You see, our lives are to be a reflection of God and His goodness. It's the way it was originally designed in the book of Genesis. To take on His image, to have His character, to have His nature. But we will only find that when we can come to a place of proximity. And we come to a place of attentiveness. And remember, we're to be sons and daughters. We're not slaves. We're sons and daughters to the King, to the God Almighty. The question I have for us today is, what image are we reflecting? It really will be a reflection of what we worship, of what we pay attention to, where our attentiveness is. There's no plan B. We're plan A for the story of redemption. People see God and people see Jesus through our lives. And if we're going to see a city transformed, if we're going to see our schools transformed, if we're going to see our homes transformed, we need to posture ourselves in our willingness to take on a greater reflection of who God is. 
We want people to see him, to see his nature, to see his qualities. And they can see it through us. But you see, we have bought into the lie, the, the tricks of the enemy to skew the truth, to understand that, oh, well, we're just people and we just trying to get through this life and yeah, we might be just people, but we are created in the image of God himself to be a reflection of him and his goodness, to be called sons and daughters that we can go to him and say, Abba, Father, Daddy, here I am. Use me, work through me. I want to be a reflection for you. See, it's so important to understand right from the get-go how we've been designed. Understand God's nature, which is this intimate relationship, this closeness that he wants to have with us. Now, next week, we're going to be talking about when Satan, the man, I'm so mad at him. He came in and messed everything up. Next week, we're going to be talking about what happened when he came to the garden. He tricked Adam and Eve. We'll talk about his tactics, how he still tricks us today. By the way, he's still very alive and well and very active. And we're going to unfold some of his schemes. But sin entered the world and continued to break, basically shatter this mirror that there's brokenness all the time. And so it's so hard to reflect the image of God that's why we're going to hold off as we go through the Old Testament. But when Jesus came, boom! Broken mirror can come back into a solid piece again. Praise Jesus for that. But next week, we're going to be talking about God's perfect plan, kind of... Well, God's perfect knew what was going to happen. But Satan came in and messed everything up makes me mad because he's still messing things up today. But when we understand how we've originally been designed and God wants us to go back there and realize that we are a part of this active story of redemption, that when we leave here today, we want people to see Jesus in us. We want people to see God in us. We should be reflecting his nature and his character but it does mean that we've got to get close to him. We've got to fix our gaze on him. We need to be diligent to serve him and worship him. He's our creator. He's worthy of our worship. Stop worshiping all the cre other created things because all it does is it messes up the order of things and we, we fall into bondage when we do that. Revert back to God only. He's your Father, but He's worthy of our praise and worship. We're going to sing a closing song. Then we're going to ask our prayer team to, to come up. And if you're here today and you need prayer,
life's hard on you. We just need somebody to stand in the gap with you and pray with you. We want to pray for you. But more importantly, if you don't know who Jesus is, he's our connection to our Father. Without Jesus, we can't get to our Father. I want to introduce you to him today, and we'll have prayer team that can make that introduction, and uh, you can know your Abba Father today. Let's sing this together. If you would like to know more about Grace Capital Church or how to get a copy of this broadcast, please visit us online at gccnh.com.